Welcome to Uplifting Women podcast. This podcast is sponsored by upliftingwomen.net, as well as Holly Tesca Coaching and Consulting and Regent Leadership Group. Join our co-hosts, Holly Tesca and Kristen Strunk, thought partners in the world of leadership, equality, and personal and professional development. Listen as they bring stories of inspirational women and their allies who are working every day for authentic leadership, equality, and inclusion in business, education, and community. These are the stories of the people whose mission it is to ensure others are seen, heard, and respected. They've overcome challenges in the workplace and the world or supported other women in doing so. Holly and Kristen are committed to uplifting women's voices, sharing inspiration, advice, and maybe even a few laughs from women and their allies about the work they are doing to promote inclusion and equality in our world. They believe that by sharing stories of challenge and triumph, we can all make the world a better place as we inspire others to step fully into their personal leadership space. We are so happy you have joined us today for our conversation. Welcome everybody to this week's episode of Uplifting Women. This is Holly Tesca. And I'm Kristen Strunk. And we are so pleased today to be here with Ahuva Herskop. Ahuva is a permission coach for high achieving women ready to step back from the brink of burnout and create a life they enjoy without compromising on their professional goals. Where were you five years ago when I needed you? She, she runs corporate <laughs> training for female professionals and leadership teams and is the founder of the Unapologetic Living Code, her coaching program for high achieving women. So welcome, Ahuva. We're so happy to have you with us today. Always wanting to hear from women who have um, faced challenges and figured out a way to conquer those challenges in a positive way and leave a positive impact on the world and the workplace. So, um, you know, our, our first question always is, tell us a little bit about yourself and how did you get to this place? Um, I think it's, first of all, thank you guys so much for having me. I'm excited to be joining you today. Um, you know, I think, I think figured out is a, is a funny word. Cause I'm like, I'm still a work in progress. Um, oh, we all, aren't we all, <laughs> <laughs> but really I kind of accidentally ended up finding my, my way into this work by training. I'm a dietitian. I, I practice, you know, in the pediatric space in a weight neutral anti-diet pediatric dietitian. So a very specified place. And right before, or actually like in the midst of, you know, the COVID pandemic, I, the schools closed on Friday, my school for my three-year-old twins closed on Friday. I found out that I was pregnant with my third baby on Sunday. And that was quite, you know, the bombshell that, that uh, happened to us during that time. And so I found myself really working, supporting parents, supporting really women during that time who are struggling to feed their kids. And at the same time, you know, was really just hearing from people like, we really wish that we could care what you're talking about. And honestly, we're like, so up to our foreheads in other things we have to worry about. Like if our kids just want to take the sugar bowl out and like spoon feed themselves for dinner, we're going to call it a win. And, you know, I was so steeped in hustle culture at that point in like, you know, wanting to build my business and being like, it should be, you know, here by two years into my private practice that I went back to work six days after having my third child with him, like, you know, holding him on my lap and very quickly found myself 
in the same burnout that that I kept on hearing from my clients. And, you know, really had to take a step back and ask myself, like, if this was how I wanted to be living my life, if this was where I saw myself for the next 30 years. And when the answer was no, it took me a lot of investing in coaching, in doing research into why women are so strongly socialized into burnout. And the minute that I, you know, started understanding why that was and how to step past it, I was like, oh my God, everybody has to know. And I've kind of just been standing on a mountaintop since then, you know, telling women that they don't have to live in the burnout that so many people are experiencing now. That's so cool. And you know, this podcast was actually sort of, a, it came it came to life during the, the pandemic. And I, in particular, when I brought this idea to Kristen, was so concerned about exactly what you're talking about, how women are so socialized to just step in and take whatever kind of burden is happening, you know, and we saw in excess of 4 million women in the United States alone. And I know Mm -hmm. you're in Canada, but we saw an excess of 4 million women just step out of the workforce to, without question, to take on childcare, schooling, elder care, all kinds of things like that. And it just broke my heart. Yeah. It it literally broke my heart to think everything that in my career we've worked so hard to achieve was erased in a matter of days. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel your pain. (laughs) Well, I'm, I'm interested in this conversation around the socialization towards burnout. So Ahuba, how would you describe women being socialized to that specifically? Yeah, it's a great question. And I talk specifically around the three P's of burnout, which are perfectionism, people-pleasing, and um, pressure. So pressure from society, family, ourselves. And those are really a lot of the places where women end up you know, veering towards burnout. And the reality is that we live in a culture that is very much hustle culture. And I call it the mom hustle culture specifically and it's really you know women don't always realize that part of our socialization like as you know as you said holly that that women were the first to step in and just be like whatever i'll i'll take it on i'll do the cooking and now i'll do the you know the the schooling and be the teacher at home women really are socialized into service right how do you show up for other people is part of your measure as a person and so when there is something to show up for service to you know, we do that very quickly right off the bat. And so being busy is a value to us, mm-hmm. right? And so when, if you've ever said like, I don't know why I can't find time. Like, I don't know why it feels like I always have something to do, even on a day off when you're like, I should have the entire day to just do nothing. And somehow there's things on your to-do list. You know, that's part of the fact that we're socialized to be busy all of the time. People-pleasing is, you know, when you think about women were historically incredibly reliant on men to take care of them, to be the ones to earn money. Like you better people pleaser if you're reliant on somebody else for, for, you know, everything or for your actual safety. And so we sort of been socialized into all of these things that are no longer serving us. And if you think about it, even from, you know, a diet culture lens, right? How often do you walk down and see, I don't, is like Teen Vogue still a thing? I don't even know what, what magazines are out there nowadays, 
you know, I remember as a teenager walking down and you can look at 17 different magazines and there's the right way to look and the right way to eat and the right way to move and all of these things where we're really disconnecting even women from what their bodies are telling them, right? Like you eat 12 almonds and you're like, not full. And the magazine is like, well, you should be. And so, you know, all of these places where we then have that perfectionism of there's the right way to do everything. And all you have to do is figure out the right way. We have the people pleasing and we have the fact that we hold being busy as a value. It's like the perfect trifecta that has women really, you know, in a high speed car on the way to burnout. And then they get there and they're like, well, it must've just been my fault somehow. So what are some of the things that you work with your clients on in terms of rediscovering their true self and what they really should be doing as a, as opposed to what society has dictated to us for thousands of years? It's a really great question. And it really is, the answer sounds very simple. And obviously, you know, I work with women for like months at a time on, on doing this is just start understanding why, right? Like, why do you do anything? And very often our brains want to want to hand us this very, pretty and polished answer. It's like, why do you, you know, I give this example all the time, which is funny because I've never actually done it, but it sounds, you know, it's it's something people can relate to. Like, you know, when someone says like, can you pick me up at 5 a.m. at the airport, right? And you're like, yeah, like, I guess I don't want to wake up that early, but I guess I'll go pick them up, right? And if you start asking the question, like, why am I doing that? Your brain is going to be like, of course, it's because we're such a good human. Like, we're just such a good person that that's why right? And really it might be, you know, a best friend who's like done a lot of favors for you in the past. And so now you really feel like you owe them and you feel like you're going to be a bad person if you don't, right? And so getting comfortable asking the question of why you do anything that you do. In my nutrition practice, when I was working with parents, is like, why do you make 17 different meals for your kids? And the answer is that your brain wants to give you, of course, is you're just such a great mother that you're so concerned that your kids eat that you're making them seven meals. Right. And sometimes a more honest answer is you're so insecure about your parenting today that you're like, if they just eat something, I'll get to feel good about myself for two seconds. And so I stop cooking or preparing or offering food until they do. And so starting to actually understand any of your motivations before you make changes, it doesn't mean you don't have to offer 12 things at dinner. It doesn't mean you don't have to pick the person up at the airport, but it's really just taking the step back to start understanding why you're doing any of these things. And then we can actually start doing the work to see if you like any of those reasons. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I'm a coach as well. And, you know, it, it always starts with awareness, right? Yeah. It always has to start with awareness and uh, the motivation behind it. And um, we, we all come with our own toolbox and baggage <laughs> to, to where we are right now, you know, quite frankly. And regardless of what sort of, challenge you're trying to overcome you have to understand a bit of exactly what you're saying why is that is there a trigger in there for me do I see the trigger when it comes and then what do I choose to do with that trigger in that moment but you know we are so wired to habitualize as much as we possibly can yeah right in, in service of being the perfect, perfect person to please everybody, to constantly be busy and be productive and all the rest of those things that we just, we're on autopilot. Totally. 
And it's hard. It's hard to stop autopilot. It, it really is. And I found myself thinking as you were asking that question, well, why are you doing these things? And my, my automatic answer is like, well, I should. Like yeah. that's, that's my default. And totally. I, I very seldom get past the I should into the why should you? Exactly. Who's, ex- who's expecting it? Yeah. Um, because the, those answers are typically, well, nobody. Yeah. And nobody's asking me and <laughs> nobody's going to change their opinion of me. And it, so it, it's just really interesting that you do. I find myself just stopping at the, well, I should. Yeah, totally. You know? Or and, because it's always how I've done it. Right. And if I change now, it's just going to take too much effort. Totally. And so I think like that's the other piece of it is that sometimes then, you know, especially the women that I work with, they're like, they want, and by the women that I work with, I also mean myself very much. These are all of the things like in this process that I've wanted to do also where, you know, then they want to sort of like perfectionism, um, making these changes. They're like, I should change everything all at once. And it's totally definitely going to work if I try and do it in the next hour. And that's why I think that it's really important to be able to say, like, even when I'm telling or recommending to my clients, you know, that we shift out of like that being busy as a value and start shifting into being able to prioritize rest. I talk about a 30 second interval. Sit down on the couch for 30 seconds, because I promise you, if you're somebody who values being busy, if you're someone for whom that's been your life, your brain will have a field day with 30 seconds. But any more than that is going to be like a total nervous system overload. Like you're going to be like, I, I can't even deal with this anymore. I'm just going to jump up and I'm just going to go do something. And that's probably what happens to people, especially when you maybe are finally like, I need a break. I'm going to book a massage. Or I'm going to take a spa day. And your brain the entire time is like, you're a horrible human. You shouldn't be here right now. You should be doing something else because it's just too much. Right. right? And so we do that all the time. I love it because it is also, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to have a day of doing nothing a day just for me. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm going to book a massage. I'm going to have lunch with a friend. I'm going to go out and I'm going to go shopping. I'm going to make an appointment to get my nails done. I'm going to make a reservation to go out to dinner with my husband. And all of a sudden your self-care day, if you will, is now booked end to end of your day of doing nothing. Totally. And, And that is, I think it feels like a, a piece of that as well, where you're like, okay, I will schedule my time. Right. You're like, I'm going to have the best, most restful rest day ever. I'm going right. to ace resting, right? Like you're always trying to get a gold star and no matter what it is that you're doing. Right. And so part of it also is, is that we never ask those questions of why we're doing it. And then exactly, even as we're going through the process, we don't always ask those questions of like, why, why are you even choosing to do it this way? Right. Why is that important to you today? Why do you not? And there's always, you know, we can always take the why like 10 steps in, in a different direction. And so that's what I mean. It's not always about like sitting and about, you know, spending your day evaluating the entire day, but it is about, it it is about, you know, developing that curiosity. Instead of, I say curiosity, not condemnation, because normally what we do is you're like, why did I do that thing again? Like, I'm so dumb. I shouldn't have done that. I always do this. That's just condemnation. Getting curious and being like, hmm, that's interesting. Why did I do it that way is actually allows for change to happen. Yeah, I love that. I really, I truly love that. So a couple things um, that I'll share. One probably comes under the category of too much information, but 
for those my are my husband, favorite. My husband and I have been married for 44 years. Um, probably for the first 39 years, I could never possibly leave the bed unmade. Now, to your point about doing things in small pieces, right? Instead of trying to conquer changing everything, you you focus on one thing. So I made a commitment, and this would drive my husband crazy. I mean, it wouldn't matter what day it was, it, the bed had to be made. And I will tell you that I still have to straighten the bed out. If I get into a messy bed, I can't get into a messy bed. Okay, Same. just can't do it. I see. But but I I I promised him about five years ago that a couple days a week I would leave the bed unmade. I would just try that, see how I feel. You know what? Five years later, I really don't give a damn if that bed's ever made. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? And I stopped judging myself over it. Okay. Now. I do make the bed once in a while, especially if we have company coming over, because of course, good God, they should see that I leave the bed unmade, right? <laughs> um, but you know, you're right. You have to give yourself those little pieces of permission to just take the pressure off. Yeah. Take the pressure off. I remember when I started coaching, my uh, coaching training 20 years ago. And the gentleman that was coaching me asked me what I did creatively. And, you know, I looked at him like he was crazy and said, what do you mean? What do I do creatively? I have a really high power job. I create shit all day long. You know, I'm always solving problems. Also. He said, oh, what do you do creatively? And I was just like, what do you mean? Like knitting? Mm-hmm. He's like, yeah. And I said, oh, I don't do any of that stuff. Why? Oh, because that doesn't serve solving world peace yeah you know and he just looked at me and said you know it's not about solving world peace with you it's about solving intergalactic peace and really how many women are really like that you know we're all about how do we do it better how to and in that that quest we just completely burn out and then we're useless so i love what you're trying to to get through to to women that you know you don't have to you don't have to have 20 objectives. Just pick one. Just pick one. And I think that that's, that's the the piece that most people are missing. Whether it is that doing more doesn't always help. Right. right? I think that it's the, the analogy that I often give, I'm a runner. I like, I, I enjoy running. I know I'm one of those people who actually likes running. Um, and, you know, in the winter, like I live in Toronto, it's cold outside. So I run on the treadmill and that serves me because when I want to go for a run, just the movement is what I'm after. But if I want to get somewhere, if I was like, you know what, I'm going to run to, I've, you know, I've worked at clinics, like I've run to work or run home from work. If I want to get somewhere specific, I can spend as many hours as I want on the treadmill. It's not going to do me any good, right? Like it's not going to get me physically where I want to go. And that's the mistake that most women find themselves making that has them running into burnout is you're like, if I just keep moving, I'm solving world peace or I'm solving intergalactic peace or I'm, you know, I'm contributing to humanity or I'm a good person or all of these things that we allow ourselves to move, to believe about ourselves. And the reality is like, you might just be moving to nowhere. If you're not clear on what your values are, if you're not clear on what your goals are, whether that's personal, whether that's professional, whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you're an employee, 
whether you are, you know, someone who works in the home just with your family, if you're not clear on where you're going and in in how the things that you're doing, even something like sitting on the couch and watching TV, right? How that's contributing to the goals that you actually have, you're kind of just moving in, in the direction of nowhere. Yeah. So true. So I'm curious about the women that you are coaching and connecting with and some of the biggest challenges that, you know, we're talking through, you know, your three P's and kind of how you're defining them. Um, what are some of the things lately that you're seeing are some of the biggest challenges for women as it relates to, say, the workplace or their professional lives? So, I mean, there's a lot of big ones, right? So I, I work sort of split in, I coach uh, in my 12-week coaching program, and I work, uh, you know, with women in in corporate spaces. So giving workshops, giving trainings there as well. And so really seeing a lot of women who are still nervous and and a little bit for good reason, truthfully, to ask for help in different places, right? You know, I was, I was speaking to uh, one of the companies that I was going to be working with, and we were talking about uh, a previous workshop where a male employee had been talking about his struggle with mental illness. And I asked the question because I knew the answer already, you know, how do you think this would have been presented had that been a female employee, had that been a woman? And they were like, yeah, it probably would have been received very differently. Like it probably would have been, there is still women who are nervous that that asking for help is going to give some indication that they can't hack it or that it's just a them problem or that it's not, um, you know, it's it's just them really. And so that's definitely, you know, a big concern as things start shifting in professional spaces. But also it's this belief really around what I call the mutual exclusivity of excellence. It's not a term. It's just what I talk about where we still, women are still living under the expectation that either they can have excellence professionally or they can have excellence as a, as a you know person outside, as a wife, as a mother, as a friend, as all the other things that they want to be, but they definitely can't have both. And I think that there obviously we've seen massive shifts happening in professional spaces for women in the last you know 50 years and i think that society is still operating from that point and i think that women are still internalizing that is that you definitely have to choose between one or the other and it's impossible for you to to have both and the reason that's so challenging for these women specifically is because when our brains believe something like that's what we look for evidence for and right. so for sure, you'll start seeing stories of, you know, people who had great careers and then decided to have families and that changed or people who delayed having kids, like the, all of those things is where our brains will go. And the reality is that it's just that that mutual exclusivity doesn't have to exist anymore. It's not necessarily something that you know has to exist. And we need to start challenging our brains to look for ways where we can actually have it all. And it might not, I think that we also have a sort of a, a mixed view of what having it all always looks like. And that especially our perfectionist brain wants to be like, I have to have it all and I have to have it all right now. Like I want to be in my like labor room, having a baby and also having a $7 million business. And that's not always the way that it works. It's just, again, like that's a lot of the women that I'm working with. They're like, if it's going to happen, it has to happen right now, right this second without being able to take sort of that longer term look at, okay, what are my goals for my life and how do I want to eventually get there? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It always feels like we're in a, we're in a race. Yeah. And I think that's what leads to the burnout. Um, because to your point, we're not, 
we're not very clear at what we're running to. Um, as a matter of fact, most in many cases, I think women are running from something um, and not really clear about what it is that they're running from as well. You know, so that reflective time, um, you know, and, and what's interesting is I've as I've gotten older, you know, I appreciate the opportunity to reflect on things differently. And of course, you know, the older you are, the more experiences you have to reflect on. But, you know, this year I, I picked the word patience to focus on for a whole variety of reasons. And I picked up, I'm real big on visual things to mm -hmm. keep me focused, you know. So I picked up this little rock and it says patience. Everything will come to you in the right moment. And that that peace in the right moment is the thing that I always have to remind myself of. It's not so much the act of patience, it's that that anticipation, right? How do I calm the anticipation and, and be okay with accepting that when the timing is right, for whatever reason the universe thinks it is, that's when that's going to come to me. And I have to learn to be okay with that. And when I can accept that, when I can... Even if it's only momentarily, when I can when I can accept that, I feel at peace. Does that make sense? I think that's such a great point, and I think the the way that I sometimes think about it is the same way. You know, when I was practicing in my nutrition practice, we think about someone who, you know, wanted to go on a diet. Let's say, like, what's the first thing everybody does if they're if they're planning like a a diet Monday morning? is go and eat everything in their pantry Sunday night because they're like, I'm not going to be able to have this ever again in my entire life. And that's sort of, I think, how a lot of people are, and a lot of women specifically are approaching most things in their lives. As you said, Holly, like if you don't know where you're going, if you don't have a long-term plan and you're not like, I can tackle this piece today and that piece tomorrow and that piece next year, and it doesn't have to happen right, like right away, that's sort of like a, you know, healthy relationship with food would be where you can have a little bit here and a little bit there and a little bit there. But when, when you think like, if I don't do all of this today, it's all going to be taken away. Like there is no tomorrow. There is no plan B. It has to happen now, which is again, how so many of us have been conditioned to approach most things that we do, whether it's business. Like I know when I was building my nutrition practice, I was like, let me work as hard as humanly possible today. Cause if I don't get 75,000 clients today, like my whole business is going to fall apart. And that's not a sustainable way to build a business, nor is, you know, is that a sustainable way to approach anything in your life? And we're all kind of approaching it as though it's like the Sunday night before a Monday diet, right? Where you're like, oh, I need to just get everything right now. Otherwise it's going to be gone to me tomorrow. And exactly so as you said, you know, when you take that approach of actually I can, you know, I can take the longer term goal. I can have the patience and believe that it's going to come to me so long as I'm putting in the work, like whenever the universe wants to give it to me, it can take so much of that pressure off of it has to happen this minute. So we, 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 we accuse societal pressure so much for all of this. This conversation is making me think about how much of this is still primal brain stuff. When you talk about diet, I mean, Yes, we have the the advantage of being able to go to a grocery store and pick up food. You know, our early ancestors, you know, they had to go out and forage for food or look for a saber-toothed tiger to kill or whatever. That was just for plain old survival. 
So I wonder how much of that primal brain still plays into this need for let's get it all as much as we possibly can right now because we don't know what tomorrow will bring. Yeah. And I think that a big part of that is number one, forgiving ourselves for not trusting the uncertainty, mm. right? Because again, we've had, we've made advances in every single, you know, area, every single like technology, science, all of that since those caveman times and our brains have kind of largely stayed the same, yeah. right? Have largely thought like, we don't know that what's going to happen tomorrow. We're not entirely sure. And so you can be sitting in your house being like, there are no animals around me. I'm totally safe. And yet your brain is still like, nope, there is definite danger, right? Like we need to stay on high alert. And so mm -hmm. for sure there is an element of, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And a big part of pushing through that, bur that burnout and being able to live with that is actually just making friends with that uncertainty. Yeah. Right. That that's true. Yeah, absolutely. We can't control everything. And there's a certain amount of um, you have to build trust that things are going to work out some way or another, maybe not on our- If we could our... control everything, I would have found a way, is what I tell people all the time. <laughs> if it was possible, I would have found a way to do it. Believe me, if anyone was going to do it. <laughs> you overachiever. <laughs> love that. Absolutely love that. So um, this has been really super duper interesting. Another perspective on- why we do the things we do, how we get in our own way, and how we might think about getting out of our own way. Yeah. And and I'm very curious if you were to leave our listeners with one last piece of advice um, before we wrap up, what would you what would you tell them? So the number one thing that I always say is just to remember that there's literally no right way to do things. I know that we're also, you know, so conditioned to look for the right way. There is no right way. And that the second thing is for anyone who's on social media, the, the people that you're comparing yourselves to, normally you're comparing yourselves to like 10,000 different people and deciding you should do what 10,000 different people are doing all in one day. So just remember that you're just one person and it's okay to take things, you know, one thing at a time. That's great That's advice. Nice. Yeah. Great advice. So where can our listeners find you? So I... I'm on social media quite, you know, I, I'm there lots. My handle is Ahuva Hirschkop and I run a free community on Facebook called Beyond Burnout with Ahuva Hirschkop, where you can also find more information about me, the things that I do and my 12 week program, The Unapologetic Living Code. Lovely. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. We really appreciate the time. It was a great conversation. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening in on this latest episode of Uplifting Women Podcast. Holly and Kristen appreciate your dedication to uplifting women and look forward to you joining them again soon. This podcast is sponsored by upliftingwomen.net, as well as Holly Tesca Coaching and Consulting and Regent Leadership Group. Please visit your favorite platform where you found this podcast to leave a review. If you are an uplifting woman or a man who champions women's success with a story to share, Kristen and Holly would love to talk to you. Please visit upliftingwomen.net and leave us a message.